Welcome to Safest Truck, the podcast focused 100% on breaking down the challenges of compliance and safety in the trucking industry. Safest Truck is powered by LogRock, the only digital tool built exclusively to help America's trucking companies stay compliant and stand strong when the DOT or lawsuits come knocking at your door. Now, let's jump straight in with our host, Hunter Yaw. All right, so this week we have with us Alex Baker and Matt Giardina from the law firm MGNM. MGNM have a whole bunch of experience representing trucking companies, whether it's through issues large or small, in court and out of court. And we are super excited to hear from them this week about the experiences that they have had in the trenches with trucking company owners dealing with, with all sorts of issues that they come through. So guys, before we jump in, I just have one quick question that I need to clarify. I need you guys on the record as this is being recorded to confirm that you are not going to bill me by the hour for this conversation. Can you please confirm that for me? I can, I can go for you. We'll, uh, just for you. Yes. We'll enter it as non-billable time into our uh, system. Excellent. All right. <laughs> so for everyone listening, if I get sent an invoice later, they promise that they weren't going to do that. I just want to make sure we got that super clear at, at the top of the call. <laughs> So guys, let's jump in. So first of all, do you want to tell us a little bit about the experience that you guys have representing trucking firms and, and the types of, of trucking firms that you've been involved with in the past, just to give folks a little bit of context? Sure, I can, I can start. I'm on our uh, Chicago office here for MGM. You know, we do a wide variety of uh, civil defense practice groups, including trucking and transportation. Uh, I've been with the firm, this firm and another firm, which have merged for about 10 years now. So, you know, the trucking and transportation practice has been a part of that over the, over the course of my career. Very cool. What about you, Matt? Yeah, I, I handled the New England and East Coast litigation for the trucking and transportation group. Alex is based in Chicago, but we do a lot of overlap. We have a, a number of clients that are either based in Chicago or maybe based in Boston that transverse the country every day. And one of our key roles is to, is to help manage their litigation and compliance needs. One of the hottest topics in the industry and something I think everyone wants to, or at least needs to learn more about are, are nuclear verdicts. And something that I found fascinating when I'm, I'm talking to, whether it's trucking company owners or directors of safety, every once in a while, if you mention nuclear verdict, they respond about the same way as, as I do when my wife pulls me aside and says, hey, we need to talk. There's a, a, a fear that strikes through the heart and, and you know that nothing good is about to, to happen. But some folks hear the term nuclear verdict or hear talk about it in the media, wherever else. And they kind of shrug it off and they feel like it's, it's, it's not going to happen to them or it's, it's not a risk for their, for their trucking company. So you get this whole range of responses. So a couple of things I wanted to ask. First, could you guys give us a little bit of context on what is a nuclear verdict? Because I think part of the issue may be whether everyone has the same understanding of what we're talking about when we say nuclear verdict. And then the second thing I want to dig into is, is why are there so many trucking company owners out there who think it's never going to happen to them or, or think that they're immune to that risk? Defining a nuclear verdict is, is kind of an open question, like you said. I say a nuclear verdict is anything, you know, over a million dollars. It's certainly anything a carrier's insurance coverage. So, you're, you know, you're definitely in nuclear territory when the, the principles of the, the, the company itself are, are selling out money because, you know, their primary and excess coverage is exhausted. I think a number of People are, are becoming aware, a number of our clients are becoming aware of, of the issue, but there's also a hesitance to admit that, you know, the nuclear verdict is, is not just the one-off, you know, in, you know, in Florida or in Texas that you hear in the news. And a lot of, a lot of our folks that we deal with have a, 
sense that, well, you know, we already have insurance coverage, so we're going to be okay. Or they believe that the facts of the nuclear verdict case are such that those facts don't apply to them. They're doing everything right. They're in compliance and, you know, they're not going to be surprised down the road. And and they feel like they feel that they have certain insulation when it comes to litigation. Are they immune? Are they completely protected Mm. against this? There is no immunity. There's no vaccine for the nuclear verdict. The nuclear verdict arise usually because something small has festered and plaintiffs are able to latch on to a compelling story and the jurors accept that story. Help me understand, what do the mechanics of that look like? Like, how does that actually shake out in court or in litigation? If, if there are some examples you so, can share? Or... I think it's important to distinguish between the type of damages that are being awarded. In verdicts, you have economic damages and non-economic mm-hmm. damages. So economic damages are, you know, they're able to be calculated. So how much his medical expenses were, how much income he's lost because you know your driver was injured or the person who was hit, how 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 long have they been out of work? Where you're seeing the nuclear verdicts is in non-economic damages, which are kind of up to the jury to to calculate. There, you know, it varies from jurisdiction, but these large verdicts, nuclear verdicts you're seeing are coming on the non-economic, more punitive damages. So what plays out, I think what we're seeing is, you know, these trucking companies, they need to hire somebody. So they, they are doing their compliance and they aren't going through the steps that they need to in checking backgrounds on drivers. So when a plaintiff attorney finds in discovery that this person has been cited before for uh, non-compliance or doesn't have their licensing up to date, that is played out by plaintiffs to the jurors to instill fear in the jurors that these drivers are out there. So they're not thinking rationally when they make these very large nuclear verdicts that, that we've been seeing. So I'm putting myself in the shoes of, of a trucking company owner who's about to enter this battle. What's the first thought that they have when when they get hit with with a lawsuit in your experience? I think a lot of times what happens is is they put their insurance in place. They think the insurance carrier, you know, will will completely take care of this. I don't need to worry about anything. This is why I have the insurance. And they they don't really understand that. Yes, you know, you need to have that insurance in place, but you also need to understand the compliance so that you can help your attorneys as much as possible in preparing your discovery responses in responding to discovery and preparing to take depositions, including their own. So I, I think, you know, out of sight, out of mind is kind of the first thought. And then they quickly start to realize that they do need to be seriously involved in the litigation process. Interesting. So when does that reality hit and what does that look like? At, at what point are is it becoming clear that I can't just farm this out to my insurance company? My insurance company isn't isn't just going to take care of this for me. Yeah, I think I think the first point when a client really starts to realize, you know, maybe they aren't in the best position or that it starts setting in is when their attorney comes to them about responding to requests to produce or answer discovery in terms of where the documents are kept, how are they kept, you know, this is from your own attorney. So I think that kind of starts to settle in that they maybe are not as prepared as they thought they were. I think that's true. And I I think we're really talking, maybe we need to be explicit about that, about the smaller companies. I I mean, you you have large, you know, publicly traded companies that have have this down to a science. I mean, you know, your your large, you know, 500 plus truck carriers are 
you know, have their own compliance department, have their own litigation department. It, it's really the, the smaller companies, the smaller and mid-sized companies. They're not expecting litigation. I often tell my clients, you know, when, when they say, you know, I can't believe I got sued. I usually tell them, look, in today's, in today's world, it's not if you're going to be sued, but when. And like Alex said, often they just want to push this away and get back to what they do best, and that's run a trucking company. And as attorneys, I think we, we find that frustrating because we always think that, you know, we really have to pay attention. We have to be, we, we have to be proactive in, in responding to the events that are within the litigation itself. But we recognize these folks are, are running a business, and that's their number one priority. And it often is, is troubling when, when the client becomes really involved after, like Alex said, when working with a particular individual, whether it's a safety director or one of the principals, and gathering the company's history, all the documents, all the, you know, all the crash documents, all the background check, all, all of those written records, the drug testing. And the, the, the smaller companies, they find that challenging. And they, they will really find the next step to be almost overwhelming. And that's when they are, when they are deposed and they are, the other side gets to ask them, you know, questions across the conference table. And we see that that is one of the more intense moments for, for these, these carriers, because again, this isn't in their business. They want, they want to make sure that their cargo gets from point A to point B. And this is, this is a foreign world for them, which, you know, Alex and I do as much as we can to, to lighten that load, every pun intended, but it will come down to the client himself. What impact does this have on, on your clients? I mean, this, this, this cannot be good for your health. Yeah, it's not. I, I mean, we've seen people lose a lot of weight, you know, people aren't eating and that's just the deposition. It, you know, when, when it goes to trial, that physical impact becomes even more dominant, but also you know, in terms of business terms, we're taking somebody out of the, the business equation, meaning they're not doing their day job in order to, to work on this case with us. And, you know, that contributes to not eating, not sleeping because you're trying to catch up. So it is, it is something that we are always aware of, of what this pressure does, it does to our folks. It, it goes to what we were talking about earlier in terms of the size of the companies too, because these larger mm. corporations, it, it's, it can be a drop in the bucket, but these mid-level, smaller level fleets where we kind of represent a nuclear verdict on one of these companies, you know, one of these businesses, it, it's, a, it's really harmful and, and could potentially put them out of business. So obviously something that someone has worked so hard to build being on the line it is obviously going to have physical and mental effects on, on a person. So we're through the deposition and you said next we're, we're going to trial. When we're in trial, when we're in court as the trucking company, is this a fair fight or is the deck stacked again? Well, we're, we're not quite into trial yet. Usually there's follow-up discovery and, and motion practice, but you're right. I mean, it, it, you know, the next really large event is trial. And yeah, I, I think that it, it's hard to say the stack, uh, the deck is stacked against them, but it's close. You know, if, if it depends on, you know, it depends on a lot of, a lot of issues. What's the insurance company, the insurance company's role in it? Did mediation fail? And we never like to take a case to trial that we know we're going to lose. So 
if we take a case to trial, we believe we have compelling arguments. But it is, again, it, 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 you know, that's a very stressful situation for, for the client and even for the attorney. As a defense attorney on the defense bar, I, I think one thing that the other side does really well is they coordinate much more than, than defense attorneys do. So they share their theories and their practices and, and their themes across the board. So you, so you see much more far-sweeping themes amongst the, the plaintiff bar against defendants. And I think that's also playing to these nuclear verdicts is that there's a formula for them to follow. And when we get involved in, in the game as defense attorneys, there's already been a significant amount of investigation done, a good amount of legwork on the plaintiff side to bring this lawsuit. And, you know, we're coming in, the accident's already happened, the, the complaint has already been filed. So we're already, you know, behind the eight ball at, at a certain point when we enter the case. So, you know, it, it, it's not necessarily a completely fair fight on our end. You know, Alex, to your point, they're, they're sharing tactics, they're sharing strategies, they're sharing tricks of the trade, you know, from one case that was successful to another to try to build up that playbook on the defense side you know, you're, you're not just up against that, that playbook that they've developed and they've shared with each other and they've, they've sharpened over different cases, but you're also at this structural disadvantage where they have spent years building this case, gathering information, sometimes, as you said, up, up to three years, depending, I understand on, on the state and the circumstances, but man, up to three years. And then you got, did I get that right? You have, you only have 20 days to prepare a defense to something that someone has been building up over three years. Yeah, in, in certain jurisdictions, I, I think that's a, you know, 20 to 30 days is usually the, the range in terms of when you have to file responsive pleadings. Obviously, you can work with the other side in terms of that, but under the rules, that's kind of a, a standard. And I think, you know, to also go to that point is we get to depose their, their client, the plaintiff as well. But again, they, they have significant more time to prepare that, that witness for the deposition. They are able to get to know that person on a, on a deeper level, go through their family photos, and, and then you're really building the sympathy factor against these companies. And that's, that's the, main, the main theory, the main approach that they have is sympathy to jurors. So that's where you get those large, you know, kind of vindictive, punitive verdicts against these companies. We're not necessarily talking a Warner or a Swift or a fleet with thousands of trucks. This could be a business that, you know, maybe is 50, 100, 150 trucks. I mean, that's in a lot of cases, that's a business that's still being run by the person who built it from, from nothing. But you're saying in yeah. court, they're going to make you look like you're the big, you're the big corporate bad guy. Absolutely. That's brutal. And I have to imagine that's a tough experience for the, for the owner to be put in that position, to be painted in that light. Yeah, it is. And, you know, the owner will turn to me and say, you know, I only take home a hundred thousand dollars a year. I mean, my drivers are making more than I do. And they're, they're making me out to be like a Walmart or a Target or, you know, like you said, a Swift. And, you know, that's the battle of perception that, you know, it's an information that, that we always find ourselves fighting. Yeah. And I think for, for guys like that, or, you know, owners like that, even if they do go to trial and they end up, you know, winning the case and, they have a defendable case and we end up winning, your insurance rates are still going to go up. So there's still repercussions for these small to mid-level fleets from, from these, these lawsuits. So even a win is, is still kind of a loss. From a business perspective, yeah. definitely. These are businesses, right? So the business perspective is, is what matters. Although, you know, right. the personal aspect I, I understand as well. And that's probably 
that's something that doesn't make the news, right? The experience of what it's like to be a, a trucking company owner having, having to go through all this. Right. You definitely uh, hear more about the nuclear verdicts and the defense verdicts for sure in the media. Yeah. So who, I mean, it, I, I, I really liked uh, what you said, Matt, that there's, there's, there's no vaccine against nuclear verdicts, but, but I think there is prevention, right? There's, there's the equivalent of, mm-hmm. of, of diet and exercise, right? For, for right. trying to avoid this, this disease. So what is the equivalent of, of eating my spinach and, and going to the gym to be, to be minimizing the risk at least of having to deal with something like this? And if I do have to deal with it, you know, as a trucking company owner, as, as a safety director, making sure that my team and I are in the best possible position. Yeah, I, I think, Hunter, it starts, with, it, it starts with your compliance from day one, right? What is your system to make sure that it, your weight is within, within acceptable regs? What is your system to make sure that your drivers uh, have their regular drug testing, that the background checks are complete? And you have that system, you stick with that system unless it's, you know, it's not working, but, and, and you continually check in with, with all those safeguards and you, you start building your good company story from, from the date, you know, you put out your ad or, you know, I need, I would, I want a driver and, and you track everything. You know, that, that's really at the heart of compliance is what information do I have? Because if I can master this information, if I can be the master of my own information, then I can communicate effectively what I did and or what I expected and what I knew and when. So that will go so far in avoiding the situation where you're being confronted because you have a weight violation, which is you know completely unrelated to, to the traffic accident that you may or may not have caused. So I need a strong system in place to make sure that I am the master of my own data so that when, when yeah. they come at me, I have every fact, every number, every data point in place and ready to go to deploy to be able to say, listen, I took safety seriously. I took compliance seriously. When issues came up, this is how I resolved them. This is the date that I became aware of this. This is the date that I assigned this driver a training. This is the date that I made sure that we renewed. This is the date that I issued this drug test. This is the date that I got the result. It sounds like it's, it's a data problem. Is that right? It is more often than not, it is a data. Problem. And you know, one of the challenges that Alex and I always face is when there is a litigation, when, when the litigation has been filed, you know, we go to the client and say, okay, give me what, give me everything you have. And they have it, they said, well, you know, what does that mean? And, you know, we say, we really want everything. And, you know, after a while, they, they give us a manila folder from one drawer, you know, a stack of paper for another, from another. And, you know, Alex and I will be scratching our heads. So this is going to take a very long time to sort out. And, you know, some of it may not actually involve this tractor or this trailer. And like you said, managing being the master of your own data, you can, if you can package this off and in one click send it to defense counsel, you know, you are ahead of the game in, in light years ahead of the game. Yeah, I, I think the importance is not only collecting and, and, and keeping the data, it's also organizing it in a way that it's easily findable or searchable because, you know, you, you I think our biggest issue in terms of litigation is when the companies you know, they start off rather small, they have 20 tractor trailers, but then 
as they successfully grow their business over the years, you know, to a hundred, 200 size fleet, litigation becomes more serious. And the people you had in place earlier, you want to be loyal to them, but they're in over their heads and they've lost the ability to organize it properly. And I can't tell you how many times there's been, you know, you've gone through every, what you thought is everything. And then they find, you know, a storage closet where there's a bunch of different boxes or something like that. And I think, you know, also these businesses have been growing, you know, 34 years where everything was kept paper. Now we're, we're seeing everything more digital. So you need to take that physical paper data and turn it into, you know, virtual data if you, if you're able to. Yeah. Just, just to go back to Alex's experience with the, the, his corporate rep deposition, there was nothing worse than the other side producing a document that you should have had and that you should have seen. You know, that, that really is horrible because think that document can be awful. It could be, it could be, you know, it, it, it could be so very bad, but if we know about that early on, there, there are things that we can do to, to help mitigate, minimize, you know, how bad that document is. If, if we're confronted with, with that document or that sales receipt or, or that bill of lading at the deposition, that's when, you know, we, we, we can't prepare a defense for it. We can't analyze that appropriately. And that is the worst case scenario. And even when, even in the scenario, when the document isn't harmful or bad in itself, you've given plaintiff the bullet of arguing what else are they hiding? You know, they're hiding information from us. They didn't, they weren't straightforward. So even if it's a, a completely irrelevant document, you, you've now been able to paint that picture of you as an irresponsible company. So Hunter, I think we can provide you with a, you know, a tale of two cases. I had a case, we had very similar facts, but they turned out very differently based on the information that the clients had and maintained. In my case, it was, we are fairly confident that it was a staged accident. And as the litigation proceeded, actually immediately, we, we understood that there were problems because not all of the, the registration paperwork, the maintenance paperwork was readily available. We identified that right off the bat. And then during the litigation, that was highlighted. And at the deposition of not only the driver, but also of the company, there was uh, a lot of a lot of discussion, a lot of questioning about the maintenance record and how the maintenance records of the of the trailer. We're not even talking about the power unit, but the trailer were maintained. And the long and the short of it is, we had a seven month gap where we could not account for any record of the trailer. And the the plaintiffs' counsel used that as as a bat to bludgeon our corporate representative. And to suggest that our company didn't take safety seriously, to suggest that we didn't maintain our records appropriately. And our position was that it was irrelevant. You know, this was this, the, the maintenance history of the trailer didn't, did not have any, any real world impact on the causation of the accident, but it took a toll on, on our client because it became a sideshow issue that that was real and at the end of the day the the insurance carrier the client agreed that it would be better to settle the case at a premium rather than have this issue with the lack lack of knowledge lack of information and really this seven-month gap become 
you know, public knowledge or for that information to, to, to be exposed and go outside of the, the litigation. So we ended up settling, you know, under normal circumstances, we would have fought the case to a conclusion because we didn't cause this accident. We, we were, as I said, we were fairly confident that it was staged. So that, you know, in, in this particular case, not having the ability to sort, to locate and, and, and maintain proper record keeping really caused, caused us to settle a case and pay money we should not have. Wow. And then Alex, I think, I think you, you had basically the, the opposite situation. Yeah, I had a similar situation where the driver involved for the company that we were representing was involved in an accident, which was, it, it involved minimal impact, uh, a rear ending of a passenger vehicle, low speed, minimal impact. But the plaintiff, you know, claimed damages from back and neck pain that he experience, had experienced from this accident. And we received a, you know, relatively high demand from plaintiff counsel based on our company's policy limits. However, luckily for us, this, this company just had impeccable records of, of the accident. To the driver's credit, he immediately messaged the dispatcher describing the accident that he was cut off. The dispatcher saved those messages within the, the company's procedure. The driver took photos of the accident to, to illustrate the damp, you know, the impact of the ve- to the vehicle. And you could see the, the plaintiff walking around, around the car clearly not in any, any serious pain. And then the, the risk management person at this company requested the, the video and it was all saved and, and provided to us. And, you, you know, we were able to take all of this, this information that we received from, from the risk management department of this company and provided it to plain, plaintiff's counsel. And it was a complete game changer. You know, they completely changed their story from, from where they were initially at with their, their high end demand. And saw that, you know, saw this for what it was and ended up, we ended up getting a voluntary dismissal in the case. So it's just, it's just an illustration to go, to show how important keeping this information and having the, the processes in place to save all this information to provide to your attorneys, because it does make our job so much easier when, when we have all that information. That's amazing. So in one case, you've got all that was missing was seven months of, of, of records, maintenance records around a trailer, which has no bearing, anyone in the industry, no bearing on the accident, no, like there's no, completely irrelevant. And that results in a much, much bigger award or sorry, settlement. And then in the other case, you've got everything in place and the case gets dismissed. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's not just, it's the difference between not just a settlement, but a much bigger settlement in the hope of keeping it out of court because God knows what would have happened there versus getting the whole thing dismissed. I mean, that's night and day. Yeah, right. Exactly. And, and it goes to show you that if you can demonstrate that you have your act together and that you're prepared, that is what changes the case. You know, that those are the cases that are not only defensible, but they're highly defensible because there is no gap. I mean, we were faced in the situation that I had, we were faced with the fact that we could not explain why our records were missing and that the plaintiff was making the suggestion that if we, if our, if our records related to a trailer was missing, what was missing with respect to the driver, what was missing with respect to the power unit. And it, it was effective. The plaintiff was effective. He, he knew he didn't have a good case, but he found something that, that was a wound for us and he exploited that. 
I think what it also illustrates is that in my scenario where it was positive, you know, the end result was positive is that it's not just important for the top higher ups or the risk management department to have an understanding of what's needed to defend these cases. It needs to be a top to bottom approach. In my scenario, you know, the driver acted appropriately, the dispatcher acted appropriately. And that helped the risk manager perform his job at this company. And then in the, in, in the end, really save the company a lot of money. We've seen this with our clients and, and, and folks we work with on a day-to-day basis, even if they've completely digitized, even if there's nothing left on paper, and, and that's fairly unusual, but, but, but let's say it's the best case scenario. We still regularly come across a situation where, and I'm, I'm curious if you guys have the same thing, the data is still stored all over the place. Some of it is in the cloud. Some of it is stored on someone's desktop. Some of it is stored on someone's laptop. Some of it is on a USB drive somewhere. And getting all that together, there's usually someone in the company who knows where it all lives. But if that person has, has left the business or it, you know, if that person's unavailable or can't remember, even a fully digitized setup, it can still be really tricky if those files are living all over the place and, and spread across desktops and laptops and storage files and, and, and USB drives. Is that, is that something you guys have come across as well? Yeah, de- yeah, hundred percent, definitely. And, you know, it, it, especially in the trucking industry, I mean, you're, you're sometimes dealing with an office attached to a garage, right? So it's kind of like, and you're not thinking of the litigation, you're thinking I need to get trucks out on the road. So you're just throwing boxes of documents where, wherever they may be until it gets to a certain point. And there, you know, there's only so much digging a person can do. And so I've definitely run across that numerous times throughout my career. The other thing that's not unique, but certainly typical in the, in, in the trucking industry is, is the, you know, the wage and hour dynamics, right? Where, you know, where you know, the, the company should have a copy of the driver's food receipt when he's on a, on a long haul, on a long haul journey. And, you know, what we see often is we know something is missing, but we can't find that. And we don't know that receipt may tell us, you know, what his break was. And, you know, we know that's missing and it's, it's, then it becomes a scavenger hunt to find that because, you know, that, that could be a critical piece of information for the defense. And that sometimes is more frustrating to both, you know, counsel and client is than than not knowing it existed at all is okay. We, we, we know there should be a document. Where is it? And, you know, strategies and systems to put in place so that you take a photo of that receipt and it's uploaded and, 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 and cataloged appropriately is, is, is invaluable to the defense counsel. Well, that makes sense because, I mean, we, we were talking before about how you guys are up against the clock, right? And, and I understand that it's yeah. 20 to 30 days to, to get that initial response, but still you're at a time disadvantage. And so I'm assuming anything you can do to be able to move fast, not only is it going to mean fewer hours you know, that you guys are working and therefore hopefully a, a more reasonable bill for, for the client, because you guys don't want to be spending your time you know, digging through stacks of paper either, right? But it's, it's also, right. I would imagine, going to help you save that, that, that time, which is such a valuable resource in the defense. Yeah, it's not just our time. It's also, you know, the client's time. I mean, every company that we work with does something you know, a little bit differently. And it's identifying, like you said, Hunter, who is the person who knows where, you know, that document is? Is it on the desktop? Is it in, is it in the, the hard copy file? Is it in the repair shop rather than, you know, the front office? And, you know, we may need one or two, two pieces of paper. And it takes two weeks to get that. And in the meantime, 
we're worried about it, but so isn't so is the owner. I don't think a lot of business owners in, in the trucking industry, when they start out, are really thinking about their compliance or their legal representation, but you know, they're two must must haves if you want a successful business. If you're able to provide us that documentation quickly for us to review it separately and not have to hound you for for records, that's invaluable to your business. Not alone are you you helping us on the defense side to defend your company, but you're also able to get back to to things that actually, you know, make you revenue for your company by not having to deal with Matt and I. And it may also help you avoid dealing with Alex and me as, as much as we, that pains us to say it, <laughs> because if the company, if the, the safety director or one of the owners, you know, they get an alert that, all right, the driver, you know, dri- driver John Jones did act or, or more importantly, didn't do something, they're able to deal with that right away. All right. If, if, if the background check is missing or if there was, you know, for example, if, if there was a movie, if, if the driver has a moving violation, you know, the, the company has to take immediate steps regarding notice and, and comply and, and complying with federal motor carrier safety regulations. And in that, the delay in information getting to them only exposes them to greater risk because they're not able to immediately take steps uh, to, to comply with their obligations under the regulation. Can't, you can't fix a problem you don't know about. Exactly. All right, Alex and Matt, this has been absolutely fascinating. We see these articles that highlight the size of the award, this state, this company, this number of millions of dollars, but the nitty gritty, the nuts and bolts of, of what it's like and the ways that you can prepare yourself and minimize that risk in advance, I think, are, are things that the trucking community deserves to have a better understanding of, better information about. We really appreciate you guys taking the time to help us understand that and, and share the experience of, of defending uh, trucking companies. So again, we had today with us Alex and Matt from MGM, the law firm, who are active uh, in defending trucking companies, have years of experience doing it. We really appreciate you guys joining us. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Hunter.